Welcome to Amalgam, a podcast focusing on creatives and entrepreneurs. You can enjoy the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you would like to get in touch or support the show, please visit AmalgamPodcast.com. Check out the blog for each episode on the Apple News app and follow us on Instagram at Amalgam Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to check out our show and please enjoy this new episode. We're here with the 16th episode of the podcast. I have Jeremy Hansen with me. Um, Jeremy is owner operator Asante, and he's also got quite a few other projects going on. How's it going, Jeremy? Uh, fantastic. How are you? Good. <laughs> tell everybody, tell everybody what you're involved in. Uh, so we, uh, my wife and I, started uh, Asante Restaurant Charcuterie um, ten years ago, about a month ago, actually. Nice. Uh, and since then, we have. Um, uh, started the Common Crown Martisan Bakery, yep. uh, the Biscuit Wizard, and just recently the Hogwash Whiskey Den, and uh, Inland Pacific Kitchen. Right, and we're here at Hogwash right now, right? Well, uh, we're up here at uh, Inland, Inland Pacific, Pacific Kitchen, Kitchen right now. Yeah. Okay, and Hogwash is in the same building of, over uh, across right? the hall, down in the basement. Okay, and then and then the caterings and basement as well yes underneath this room that we're sitting in we have a catering full catering kitchen Mm -hmm. um, that supplies food for the hogwash Mm -hmm. and also our catering company okay awesome so just to kick it off um 10 years for sante congratulations yeah thanks thanks yeah Yeah. what what's changed in 10 years in in the most generic question possible oh man uh, (laughs) uh a lot actually um the biggest changes are the food scene itself. I think, you know, 10 years ago, uh, we were in a recession that kind of ended, I would say, more of a super high-end fine dining style of eating. Okay. Um, and as the next 10 years rolled on, we've had a lot of, uh, or a younger group of people, uh, millennials, if you will. Okay. Um, kind of searching for new ways to eat. Yeah. Um, and they're more uh, into like a fast, casual kind of a, uh-huh. a eating environment now, which you see all over the place. Um, and it's kind of the norm anyways. Okay. But people want quality food. Uh, don't mind paying for it so much, but they want to be in a casual environment. Uh-huh. And a typical fine dining restaurant is you yeah. know, more upscale uh, uh, um, venue. Yeah. With, with the- well, yeah, higher end food, and uh, that's kind of one of the main shifts, you know. And then also the environment with the staffing has changed quite a bit. Okay. Um, yeah, minimum wage has risen, right? So you got to find new ways to run the business and operate the business uh, to a uh, profitable um, uh, standard. So it's a lot different now. And, yeah. And business wise, and food wise, and operations wise yeah everything's evolving but i like it i like it. it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good change yeah that kind of i've wanted to tell you um 
my experience with Sante, years ago, me and my wife went there for one of our anniversary dinners. And we were just kind of trying to find a place to go. We weren't prepared to go anywhere. We we're just going to go try and find a place to go. And weren't dressed up. And we came across Sante and it, and it looks beautiful in there. And I thought that we were going to be disrespectful by the way we showed up and like how we were dressed and everything. And I was kind of hesitant, like, I don't know if we should go. I don't know if we're going like, to pay the right respects. And she was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then I even asked the waiter, like, are we are we okay? Like the way we're dressed here and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, you're totally fine, man. And right. it was one of the, one of the coolest experiences ever. We took, took a little picture of almost every little thing we got out. I mean, we, we hadn't had a dining experience like that yet. So right. it was a complete surprise. We didn't know what we were signed up for. I, I obviously didn't think we were going to be allowed in the place with the way we were dressed, <laughs> but that's, um, that's awesome. It's the, and it yeah. was a hundred percent approachable, a hundred percent comfortable, comfortable in there. And that was, it was awesome. Well, you know, that's, uh, you're right. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the flip side of that though, um, it's scary for people because they yeah. don't know what to expect. And I think uh, a lot of people don't want to subject themselves to that environment in a lot of ways. And so it's harder to bring in a lot of new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, for people to keep coming on a, consistent basis because right. it's not the style of dying that you can do every day yeah it's not that like creature habit type thing right right yeah. so uh, and that's another like talking about change in the restaurant industry that's yeah uh, that's uh, one of the big things that are changing and that's the more fast casual kind of but you know uh, a higher feel or higher end feel yeah but more um, faster casual food yes so one of the things that when we were there, the waiter was explaining was the the in-house um, butcher, right? That mm-hmm. you guys, you do it in the basement. And that that kind of leads into a little bit of the food ethics, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and the yeah. motives behind that? So when we opened up the restaurant, uh, or actually when I came back to Spokane, uh, I wanted to open up my own restaurant, but I didn't. My number one goal was to uh, make everything in-house. Anything that we put on a plate, we make okay. in-house. Okay. Um, anything uh, that we source, we buy uh, from a local farmer or we know how um, it is raised or the animals are raised that we serve or um, the, how the food is grown. Mm-hmm. So Sante, uh, the name itself, is French for health. Okay. So everything that we do is uh, cooked and made and brought to the table with health in mind. Um, okay. And so it's just a standard that I have um, for a couple reasons. For one, my guests deserve something better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're paying our bills. They're paying uh, my salaries for my employees. Right. Uh, they are supporting our our dream. So to give back to them, I think it's appropriate and also... I don't know what you'd say, a moral uh, uh, obligation mm-hmm. for myself to make sure that my guests get quality, good, healthy food. Right. Uh, and that's what the standard is for me, at least. And that's kind of the philosophy through the whole entire company. Right. And the Pacific Kitchen's the same, even hogwash. Mm-hmm. It's more bar food, but I know where the burger meat comes from. Okay. I know how the farmer raises those cows. I know where the chickens come from. I know how the farmer, uh, um, 
raises those chickens. I have relationships with all of the, or most of the people who grow our uh, produce. Um, so I know, I do my best to know where everything is coming from. Right. Uh, I think it's important. And in fact, um, I wouldn't do this if I didn't care about that. Okay. Or if I wasn't doing it that way, because um, people deserve that. Mm-hmm. That's that's excellent, man. That's great. Yeah. That's a great philosophy. The um, uh, as far as where that started, just to kind of give the audience a little history, of that did that originate over um, in uh, was Portland, right, where you started? Um, so I. St- I actually started cooking in Spokane I okay. for about 12 years oh, okay. and I actually, I, I, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I hated cooking. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I liked doing it because I liked anything that I did. I tried my hardest to do really well. Yep. Um, so no matter what I was doing, I was going to do it well for my own sake, whether it was for the, the owner of the restaurant or the chef, whatever, I didn't really care. I was doing it for me. I was doing, my best to do my best for myself Mm -hmm. growth is really important to me so anyhow in these places that i worked um they were fun they were nice i uh, or neat Uh, i met a lot of really neat people but the job at a young age was stressful i didn't know really what i was doing training wasn't all that great and in fact the cooks that i worked with none of them really cared about what they were doing Okay. Or where they were getting the products from or there's none of that. There's no um, ethics, ethical situations. No one to teach me anything about that. No one uh, to even teach me how to cook properly for that matter. So, and on top of that, most of the people I worked with were uh, um, substance abusers Mm. or addicts of some sorts. Yeah. Uh, And so dealing with that was really crazy. Yeah. Um, and if you ever read the book uh, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. No, I haven't, but um, I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah, I should check it out. But when you read that, if you do, uh, the first time I read it, it reminded me or it actually made me realize that I'm not the only one in this situation. Like when I read that book, um, it woke me up to the realities of the food world and it was almost exactly how I grew up in the industry. Okay. It was really amazing. I was like, whoa, like, yeah, I know these people. I mean, I don't know the people in the book, but I know people that are exactly like them. Yeah. So it reminded me of the exact same way that I uh, uh, was raised in the, in the food in the, food. the kitchens, you know? So it was really interesting. Anyways, um, I started working with a chef. Uh, that was actually trained and trained me, taught me, and it kind of opened up my eyes. And my the eye opener was uh, blue cheese. In fact, okay, um, you know, I went to the chefs like this blue cheese is uh, rotten. Like this is moldy. Like you can't. Like what are you guys doing here? And he, he laughs at me and he's like, "Well, <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, this is ten years after I've already been in the industry. Okay." Um, you know, and I worked, I worked in Mexican and, and Chinese, so there's no blue cheese around right. for that, you know? So he starts laughing at me and he grabs a chunk of it, and takes a bite. And I'm like, what, what the hell? And he says one word, he says Stilton. And then he walks away. Okay. And I'm like, Stilton, like what? Right. So I look it up. 
I find out it's a type of blue cheese. Then I start learning about blue cheese and I'm like, well, what else is out there? And then, so I learned about all kinds of different cheeses like breeze and camemberts and um, goat cheeses and all these crazy, like what is yeah. happening in this world? Yeah. And then from there, it just branched out to all of these other things. Okay. Um, meats, charcuteries, salamis, uh, um, uh, wines, beers, like, and, and how do you make them um, and all of this stuff. And all of a sudden my mind exploded and I was like, wow, this <laughs> is like what food is. Like right. there's so much to learn Yeah, and then, then different cultural cuisines. Um, uh, so from that point, from the blue cheese uh, experience, my mind was open. That's crazy. And from that day, I dove into this industry um, with passion and, um, a year after that, I learned what I could ask tons of questions, dove, dove into books, uh, learned as much possible, learned about Escoffier, learned about, uh, uh Marie Antoine Graham, like old school chefs, learned about the mother sauces, learned about, um, just basic culinary techniques and, uh, mother sauces, what's mother sauces, five mother sauces are basic sauces. They teach you in culinary school, okay. you have, uh, like a bechamel. Uh, which is like a white sauce. Okay. Uh, Velouté, which is kind of like a gravy. You can season with anything. Okay. A tomato sauce. Um, uh, 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 a demi-gloss. Um, okay. I've kind of yeah. heard those terms before, but... It, yeah. Know, they're mostly like gravy sauces and they're like hollandaises okay. in that family. Um, but the, each one of those sauces has like hundreds of derivatives. So you right. have like these mother sauces that have thousands of other things that you can make. Right. Um, so that's why they call them the mother sauces nowadays. I mean, that's old school. Nowadays, there's, you know, a, a dozen mother sauces. Okay. So it's a little bit different now. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I decided I want to go to school because at that point, I've been working in the industry 12 years. And I was like, I need to, like, I'm not going to learn anymore here. I mm-hmm. need to go. If I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, I need to go get educated. So I found the best possible school. Okay. Um to the closest to our home, which is in Portland, Oregon, the Cordon Bleu. So okay. I went there. Um, I graduated at the top of my class with a couple other uh, uh, kids, another guy, Nick Giannis, out of, uh, uh, he lives in Austin, Texas, owns a restaurant called Juniper down there. Okay. Uh, he's doing really well right now. Um, anyhow, um, since I was already in the industry for so long and I kind of knew the basics, knew how to work with people, knew how the stresses, knew everything, I focused on technique okay. and flavors. And so I really excelled at, um, at my or at that school uh, and graduated, uh, went to New York City, worked there under Chef Greg Kuhn, two Michelin star restaurant, um, got uh, met a lot of really neat people, uh, still are friends today. Awesome. Um, and came back to Portland, uh, worked at the um, uh, 23 Hoyt, is okay. what it's called, on uh, uh, Northwest 23rd Street for a minute. Then I got a job as the CDC or Chef de Cuisine up at Timberline Lodge. Um, worked there for about a year. That was rough. It was a neat position. Got paid pretty good. But I worked with a lot of kids that were snowboarders or skiers and really yeah. were just there to get a free pass. And that was really rough. <laughs> they didn't care about food or cooking and that was tough on me. 
Yeah. Because I really cared and wanted to do, make a difference. Yes. Anyhow, I came back to Spokane, worked at a couple of places, and realized that uh, we're not really cooking uh, for our uh, our guests or for the people of Spokane the way that I think that we should be. Okay. And so I opened up Sante Restaurant. Sante. Yeah. And now we're here. Yeah, now we're here. Awesome. That was that's a pretty pretty yeah. crazy history, man. Yeah, it's a really neat. Um, it's a neat story how it kind of unfolded. Yes, um, but it's you know, you know, through that period, there's a few other things that have happened that have changed uh, my thinking and roots. Um, but yeah, but Portland, Oregon, really kind of taught me and showed me the grassroots of cooking, farm okay. to table, or. Uh, knowing your product and knowing what you're eating and yes. uh, cooking for vegetarians, cooking for um, celiacs or cooking for people with dietary restrictions. You know? Okay. And here, there wasn't really a thing. Like, in fact, the restaurants are work. Oh, someone's gluten-free or this. We just laugh at them and like, whatever, make fun of them, you know? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. That's the way to develop a relationship with your customer. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But it's changed now. And I understand the importance of all of these things and, you know, at the end of the day, our guests and the people who come to the restaurants and support us are the ones that need to be taken care of the most. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I tell my cooks and service staff, we're in the uh, the service industry. We are in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Like we're here to be hospitable. These people are in our dining room. Mm-hmm. You know, like treat them like you would treat a guest in your own house. Right. You know, and so that's you yeah, know, that's the deal. We they're they're paying our bills. You know, and yes. So we out of respect for that we have to give them the best experience and best food we possibly can absolutely i think you guys are doing that for yeah, sure yeah, trying trying i want to dive in a little bit into the mentoring mm-hmm. and then the 509 cooks mm-hmm. um from your profile on something online you, it mentions that you're really involved with youth right and mentoring youth mm-hmm. you want to talk about that we try that comes and goes in stages because it's kind of another passion of mine Education is um, what helped me get to where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's important for people to be educated about the things that they're eating, the things that they're doing, decisions they're making, especially in the kitchen. Because mm-hmm. not a lot of that happens. And in my first 12 years, I wasn't educated. I didn't okay. know why I was doing this or doing that or right. what I was eating or what it was doing to my body or where it was coming from or the impact on the environment that it was uh, uh, making. Um, had no idea, had yeah. no clue. And so uh, through the years, after educating myself, going to school, opening up my own restaurants, um, I've uh, put an effort into passing along that education to the young students that come in or the young cooks that come into the restaurants um, and work for us. So I think it starts there. But more importantly, I think it starts with even a younger crowd. Uh, with teenagers or um, high school kids Mm -hmm. because you don't get a lot of that education in school. No. Uh, They don't talk to us about food. They don't talk to us about farming. They don't teach us about uh, environmental impacts of of cattle raising or uh, monoculture uh, growing one crop on, you know, 100,000 acres. It's just, you know, they don't teach us that. No, I think it's really important. So, that's where the mentoring comes in. And that's where I really start when I um, sit down with these, with these kids is like, look, this is the basics, you know, basics, sanitary, go to school, sanitation, basics, right. uh, mother sauce is kind of basic cooking, but 
I like to start it with, look, this is why we're doing these things. This is where the food comes from. This is what it's doing in the environment. So from there, we have to make the correct choices on where we're getting things from um, to make sure it makes sense for our guests or for our plates that we Mm -hmm. put it on. Um, And it's really important. You know, last thing I want to do is put my dollars into something that isn't giving back to the community or our environment in in a good way. So. You know, I rather eighty six something on the menu if I can't get it from the proper vendor, okay, or if I can't get it from the uh, uh, a good place. And in fact, that's one major reason why our menus change so often is gotcha. because you can only get so much seasonally or from a batch of something that somebody makes. Yes, um, you only get so much of it. Yeah, um, and when it's gone, it's gone. So then we got to switch something and do something else. But anyhow, back to the mentorship, um, and that's kind of what five hundred nine cooks is. Um, uh, meant for it's meant for two things um, for one it's a culinary first responder team okay that kind of stems off my work that i did in puerto rico with chef uh, jose andreas okay and um, um world central kitchen something i've always been wanting to do is um go out and help out natural disasters like hurricane maria in puerto rico oh, okay um and so i finally got a chance to do that um and i did it and i learned a lot um and decided um on my way home from there or during the process that i wanted to uh, live on or keep going or be a finger to the world central hand if you will okay and um continue that those efforts from the pnw from up here, from out of Spokane, and you know, with the rest of my career, uh, be a part of something greater than what I am or what what this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've always had a philosophy of helping and giving back in a sense um, on doing what I'm doing and making it easy, you know. But I think this is bigger than that, and I want to be a part of it, and I want to keep it going. And so, Five by Nine Cooks is. A couple things. Okay. It's an opportunity for me to um, to teach, bring in young students, teach them how to cook, um, give them jobs, um, teach them how to cook the right way, educate mm-hmm. them correctly. And then also when um, – and part of that program is these kids get to uh, make food for the homeless or do something to give back to the community. Um, homeless or um, not people that are hungry for whatever reason. Um, we're going to like uh, pretty soon we're going to start this uh, or have this um, or once we finally launch the 509 cooks, we're going to have a program where we do a hundred sandwiches. Okay. So we make a hundred sandwiches weekly from our old breads from the bakery and meats that we make in house or whatever we're doing. And then we um, ride around the city and, you know, hand out sandwiches, yeah. you know, the people that are, are hungry. That's beautiful, um, man. Yeah. So that's, that's part of what that is. But also, it's the first responder in part. So we'll be putting on um, dinners, uh, like these students will, will create dinners and cook the dinners, and I'll teach them how to do all of these things. And then they'll do create the menus, make the food, and do the dinners. I'll be on their by their side to help them uh, get it through. But it's also an educational thing for them. Yeah. But it'll be for donations into the five hundred nine cooks that will help the next batch of students that come in. But also when there's another hurricane. Um, or like the wildfires in California, we 
we'll be able to take some of those students with some of the Soon. money, the funds that we have, we can go down gotcha. and help out and help cook again, That's or awesome. meet up with the world central kitchen team and just be, uh, uh, um, like a finger to them, wherever they're yeah. at. If they're posted up in Guatemala, maybe we can take a, a group of five people down there and meet up with them and be volunteers right. for them. Yeah. But that's the money's for. The money is to get a group of us down to go to expand help out. the operations yeah. four or five. So yeah, and and then there'll be the the almost the PNW or inland northwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do what we can absolutely. And basically, yeah, it is a um, a PNW cell. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll do what we can up here for our. Um, our region, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, we've had fires up here every year now for the last yes. three years. It's no, crazy. It is crazy. So we'll, we want to go in and feed the people that lose their homes and also nourish the firefighters. Yeah. You know, they already have kind of a system they do, but I've been in, uh, or for food or whatnot. And, but I've seen some of the food that like, uh, Red Cross gives out. I've seen the food that FEMA gives out okay. uh, and people, that have lost their homes to fire or hurricane or tornado or earthquake, whatever, that's not the food that they need. Yeah. They're not giving them nourishment. They're not giving them hot meals. They're not giving them something that helps them uh, keep fighting for or cleaning or the cleanup efforts or, you know, they're giving them food to give them energy for a minute, but then they're irritated and grumpy and hungry again in a half an hour. Like yeah. it's not helping them. It's actually making the situation worse. So we want to give people good food, mm-hmm. uh, healthy food, you know, nourishing food, hot meal, you know, but nothing better in a situation like that than giving like uh, a five-year-old kid a hot meal like yeah. that hasn't eaten hot meal in, in days. Right. You know, especially when they don't have any uh, uh, electricity, you know, for weeks. And, you know, some people in Puerto Rico still, you know, after a right. year don't have electricity. Yeah. You know, and some of them, you know, clean it. It's better now, of course. And most of them, I think, do now. But some of them in the mountains, um, you know, clean water is an issue. Like mm-hmm. these, they're, they're still battling. And, and I think most people have clean water electricity now, but a lot of people are still living in houses with tarps for roofs. Yes. Yeah. Um, and had to go through the hurricane season again this last year or this year um, with just tarps. Uh, luckily, they didn't get hit again. Yeah. But if they did, I mean, imagine like, yeah, it would have been, it's crazy. Anyways. So chaos. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what 509 cooks is, is all of those things. Um, Ultimately it's not really has a single vision because I want it to be better than just, you know, I don't want to just teach people. I want to feed people. I want to, we will need to do all of these things and I don't want to single it out as like just one single thing. It's all food and it's all teaching. It's that, but it's all of these different things that we can be doing. Right. It's so just to back up a little bit to give myself and somebody in the audience, World Central Kitchen, Mm -hmm. what is that? So World Central Kitchen um, is, well, for one, it's um, uh, operated, I think it was developed and operated by a chef named uh, Jose Andreas. Okay. Uh, Spanish chef lives in or has is posted in posted up in uh, uh, Washington D.C., but he has restaurants in L.A. He has restaurants all over the country. I'm, I'm, I think. Okay. Um, some in Puerto Rico. Anyhow, he has um, uh, started a cooking school for low income families. I believe is what World Central Kitchen is really, okay. or what it started out to be. It was like a cooking school. 
Um, uh, I think it started in uh, Haiti when the, um, uh, the was it, I think it was an earthquake. Yes, destroyed in Haiti, yes. and he went down there and he's been doing humanitarian things for years and years and years. And so that's kind of where I think that that started, if I remember. Um, but now he is turning it into or t- has turned into uh, an effort to feed um, uh, people in crisis and people and, you know, in that have lost their homes to natural disasters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's down, I think, in Guatemala where they had the uh, um, uh, earthquake or not the earthquakes, but the um, volcanoes, I think, or someplace. Um, yeah, so he's kind of doing. He's all over the place now. He was yeah. he's in California where the wildfires now, World Central Kitchen. So that's what that is. It's uh, a school, but then it's also well, it started out as a school, but now it's a um, a way to uh, you know get respond right. Is yeah, that... first responder. Yeah, uh, and and in fact, uh, I'm not trying to rip off his program at all, but that's kind of like what 509 Cooks is. Yeah. But like I said, it's it to me what it is. It's it's not it's it's a finger to the hand, and, okay. And I want to be a helper, yeah, to World Central Kitchen. I think it's important, and if I can help in any way, um, we can with our program up here. That's what we're about. We'll give to we'll, we'll do things for World Central Kitchen. We'll we'll give to World Central Kitchen. We'll, we're mm-hmm. just kind of um, trying to just help. Yeah, know. just kind of follow in their yeah. wake right. and, and contribute. Right. I, I, I'm not, you know, trying to uh, compete with them or right. help them. Yeah, you no, know? I think you guys, you is, the saying? mission should be shared no yeah, matter what absolutely. the organization is. Yeah, I don't think oh. that's awesome. Yeah. Because we're talking about Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the documentary that you're working on? So, yeah, uh, we have um, the documentary is called uh, Buen Provencho. It's, we have bon one, Provecho right? is, is like a Bon Appetit. Yeah. Uh, or um, um, enjoy your meal, basically. So it's something they say in, in, in Puerto Rico. I've noticed it when I was down there. I'd go get a meal. That's what they would say. And I'm like, what, what are they saying? Like, what is this? And so I learned about it. And it's like, so this is kind of what this film is. So basically, when we were down there, we just kind of documented a lot of the stuff that I saw okay. kind of filmed some, um, me talking about what we were doing or getting into filmed a lot of the food that we were eating, stuff that we were making, just kind of the whole situation. I didn't know what I was going to do with the footage, Okay, but I ended up with like 20 hours of footage. Nice. And it's like, wow, look, like let's make a little documentary. So I started chopping it all down and I thought about making it real political. Because some of the stuff I saw there, I ran into a USDA agent that I wasn't sure if I was going to get along with. Interesting. Uh, and I'm talking to him, and he kind of spilled the beans on what their mission was down there, uh, which is a whole other story. Okay. Uh, and USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of responsible for the Monsanto, the monoculture uh, farms, the big ag. I don't want to say responsible, but they regulate all that stuff. Yeah. But they are responsible for letting a lot of things that are happening happen uh, in our food world, which to me is uh, very political yeah, um, and very disturbing in a lot of ways. And so they're a major part of the prohibiting of, of these things happening. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, regulatory bodies. Yeah. Uh, 
they yeah. allow it to happen and they have their own political reasons why. I mean, there's no reason why anybody should be starving in America. There's no reason why we can't have 100% organic food here in America. We throw away more or 50% of the food that we grow for people to eat, we throw away. Uh, and that's just, that's a, that's a real thing. Right. And like, why are we throwing it away? Oh, it's not pretty enough to sell in the stores. Like, why, why do you have to have a perfect? Right. You know, I mean, like, come on, if it's not perfect and you're going to chuck it, why don't you give it to the homeless? Or why don't you give it to people that can't afford it? Like, what's the problem here? And there's regu- there's regulatory rules that won't let you resale things like that. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. You know, uh, uh, why do all the food banks have only canned food? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, why is the uh, FEMA giving people only uh, MR- M- MREs? Like, what are you talking about? And then our MRE is an emergency thing that you eat if you need to. Right. But when there is ways to cook food and give people food, when there is an abundance of it all over the world, uh, then give it to them. Yeah. Who gives? Who, who cares if, if your cucumber isn't perfect? Who cares if your, you know, uh, uh, red peppers are, you know, perfect? Like, right. What? It doesn't make sense. Why are we putting all of these chemicals in our foods? Why are we gassing our tomatoes? You know, you're picking them when they're green and gassing them so they look red and putting them in the stores are fake it's not real mm-hmm. that's why your tomatoes taste like cardboard you know it doesn't make sense they're not picking that's why you're also eating tomatoes in the middle of winter when you shouldn't be it's not a seasonal thing and at the same time uh, on a health standard your tomatoes uh, are a summer vegetable for a reason it has all the nutrients you need to keep pathogens away and be healthy through the summer when the fall comes you switch your diet into more fall foods for fall uh, for the cold weather and that's why you can't, you don't grow tomatoes in the, in the, in the fall or the right. winter. Uh, but we eat them in the winter all the time. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sales pitch, you know, milk does a body good. Really? Does it? You know, there are these things, you know, where we grew up, we grow up thinking that, uh, we're supposed to be drinking cow's milk. Right. In fact, we're not supposed to be drinking cow's milk. Yeah, you know, and I we're just addicted to, to take it. my son off of it because yeah. he can't have it. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why he can't have it. There's yeah. a reason why people are celiac and can't eat a lot of the flowers that we have now. And it's a growing trend, not a trend, but a growing epidemic. Mm-hmm. Like people can't eat bread. That's insane. Like what? When did this problem start? I mean, we've been eating bread for hundreds of right. you know, thousands of years, and all of a sudden, in the last fifty years. People can't eat bread. Hmm, I wonder why. Uh, yeah. So there's a reason, you know, and the USDA is part of that reason. You know, they're cultivating that. You know, it's it's a it's a political thing and it's a money thing. And it's crazy. Anyhow, yeah. The, no, it's okay. It's I, tangent, I'm, but no, it's it's all right. I'm where, where I work, I mean, I've always been dealing with the regulatory body. I used to work at the WSU Creamery down in Pullman mm-hmm. making cheese. And so we saw WSDA in there. We yeah. saw um you know, sometimes people would bring in their own auditors if they were going to make a new contract and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at my full-time gig, we're ISO and FDA certified. So we get audited. And so I, um, it is interesting when you see both sides of the industry and you see the regulatory side and you see the business side and then you see where you're trying to make everybody pay attention to is the awareness and the ethical side and the, sure. the purpose, the vision. Why are we doing this? And I don't think that it's um, it's I don't think it's a bad idea to bring up what you're talking about, because the questions do need to be asked. If you look over history, like 
what's changed in the last few decades? Mm-hmm. What changed in the 70s? What changed in the 60s? What changed in the 20s? You know what I mean? Like we've right. we've been we've been editing our our I don't know what the word is, what we consume or our lifestyles for a long time in this country now and in but a short time in the span of human existence. Right. And so it's interesting. It's really interesting no, to think totally to, to ask those questions. And it's it, crazy. It's the thing, it's the education part. Yes. You know, and I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's good reasons why we're doing these things. So I understand that uh, genetically modified foods and such. I get that. But I don't know. It's just, it's not something that, you know, the, the reasons behind it, I think, are shallow reasons. Uh, ultimately, I think the people who are uh, biggest in, uh, or the, that are involved the most are doing it for profits, you know, and the pharmaceuticals out there, you know, it's all money driven. It's, it's all industry when you have, this seems so cliche to say in, in, but it's, it's, it all seems the similar, no matter the industry, when you have a large corporation pushing an agenda, um, whether that's who's pushing the nutrition facts for school districts or Mm -hmm. who's pushing um, regulatory guidelines for medical devices and implantables. And there's a huge issue with implantables right now in the, in the system designed for the FDA to do their job and regulate these corporations that want to give us medical devices or mm-hmm. food or whatever it is. Um, there's, 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 it's all kind of the similar thing is that you've got somebody with a ton of money, really wants to do something, and those, I mean, let's be honest, they know how to, you know, fleece the right people. They know right. how to grease the right pockets. It's not, I mean, a lobbyist. Like, what is a lobbyist? The lobbyist at the end of the day is going to be pushing something. Mm-hmm. And someone's telling them what to push. And there's a reason that they've We're decided to, for, yes, right. exactly. So, I mean, it's just, we can really kind of cut the BS and just say it is what it is. I mean, who's, right. who's going to benefit? Okay, bono, like who benefits? Right. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, and that's one thing um, that upsets me about the food industry, especially is like the genetically modified foods. I like, get it. Fine. Make them do whatever you want. But why are you spending millions of millions of dollars to make sure that people don't label it on their packaging? Like yeah. if it's so good for you and fine, like why not not yeah. label it? Like, yes. What is the problem here? So those kinds of things make me and other people like me wonder, huh, there's a reason why they don't want people to know it's genetically modified. Yeah. You know, and they're going to push their agenda and try to tell people how great it is for you. And it's totally fine. Blah, blah, blah. You know, but guess what? Uh, Americans have the the highest rate of heart disease, cancers, um, you know, obesity, like, huh, interesting. This is all interesting. So it makes people think, you know, why, if it's so good for you, why do we have all these problems and why are you trying right. to not label? Like, label it. So what? What's the big deal? It's At the end gonna, of the day, yeah. the consumer has the choice. If that's, I want to consume that's, something that's unhealthy for me, it's my choice. 100% accurate, and that's exactly what I think. And that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the land of the free, right? <laughs> we should be, uh, uh, we should have that freedom to know what we're consuming and make the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, some people don't care. Fine. Some yeah. people do care, but can't afford it. I get that. But you got to have the choice, yeah. you know, whatever. Give them the choice. And if you're doing it, but you don't want people to know, 
That's a problem. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a red flag. Yeah, it's like, come on. Right? The, the um, what always gets me is the copious amounts of money that large corporations have for marketing and public relations. Mm-hmm. Like, and and they, the the amount of time and energy they focus on, like, what color are we going to put on the label? that eases the audience's mind into you know engaging Absolutely. with us and yeah. it it's kind of a twisted game i mean <laughs> if you really think about it like right. all right let's bring in this demographic like we're not supposed to talk about targeting demographics in this country or anything like that but at the end of the day what do you think we're doing when you see a commercial on tv with with the demographic you know acting out that oh i'm at home i'm a normal person and i'm doing this thing or buying this thing or participating in this activity it's like it's weird, right? You it, don't see sugar syrup. You don't see Captain Crunch commercials at uh, during prime time at a football. You know what I'm saying, right? It's, you know, there's it's all science, and they're yes. doing it for reasons. And no, the demographic is beer drinking people, and then they've got. It's ironic because it's like here's beer, and then here's car insurance, and it's like, are you anticipating drunk driving, or like what's like what's the deal? Like, yeah, well, it works, and that's the thing is that it's it's a science, and they're doing things for yeah. a reason. Yeah, the colors they put on their logos. Yes, um, the names, like the names. One yeah. of the companies for this uh, documentary on Netflix, um, I think it, you know the name has care in it, like, and the other part of the name is an insuring. It's like we're insuring care, and it's like yet your implantable is ruining people's lives, like literally destroying people's lives. Not just the person who's implanted, but their family around them and everything. It's like, mm-hmm. but in, you know. It's crazy. It's super crazy. And that's uh, two reasons why I have uh, those two reasons are why we have Sante Restaurant Mm -hmm. and all of our other places. Same philosophy, just different names, of Mm -hmm. course. Uh, And that's why we have five on cooks. It's quality food, uh, real food, giving back to the people who are actually doing it correctly Mm -hmm. uh, and an education. And those are two most important things. You don't get that on a normal day-to-day basis on television or in our schools. No, you, they make it to where you better seek that out. Yeah. You have to find it. You have to look and you know, and I don't want to say people are lazy because most people aren't. Some people are sure. But at the end of the day, if it's not in front of your face, how are you supposed to know? Yeah. You know, especially in this day and age with all the rhetoric out there, especially in our government with the, fake news this and that everybody's lying about everything oh yeah you know president can lie and it's okay like that never used to be a thing no it's a it's an insane world to navigate until who to just who to trust simply who to say where if i'm reading this information great maybe i found it but now the question begs is this accurate is it accurate well and that's a big thing though too and something i talked to my daughter about too like she'll bring up something well i read this okay about this uh certain I read this about the certain uh, subject. Okay, great. But um, if that's da- data that you got about um, the certain subject, who put the data out? Are right. the people that are trying to sell this, the subject or the product or whatever it may right. be? Or is it somebody who is uh, doesn't want you to get it? Or is it somebody in, 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 independent, in, from independent in the yeah. middle? Like, how are we supposed to know like, yes. these researchers that are who is doing what? Yes. So... At the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, it's like if it's research that comes out from a company that's selling you the product, automatically don't believe it. <laughs> right. Like really, like right. they're telling you what you 
what they want you to hear. They're selling you a product. They're selling you one. So, I mean, you can take that with a grain of salt, fine. But, you know, find the opposite mm-hmm. and then come up with your own conclusion. Yes. Yeah, you know, v- that's vigilance. what you really need to do is you got to you got to work it, man. You got to yes. figure it out yourself. You got to teach yourself. You got to ask the question, you know, where is this from? And I think people are going to get more and more back to like this. Like you and I, we're going to talk about some stuff. You're going to get to know people and you're going to you're going to begin to trust people that you want to like if you want to talk about politics, you want to talk about this uh, any subject. You're going to it's going to go back towards that I mean word of mouth never died, but it's going to go back towards that like well, my family member who's involved in this industry and has experience, you know, they told me this. And then, you know, that's going to be more reliable than Googling. You know, you're, you're right about that um, in a sense. Uh, sometimes. You know, no, 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 absolutely. Sometimes. Uh, because on the other side of that, that person that's involved in that, your family member that's involved in that yeah. situation, uh, brainwashed in some sorts. Possibly, you know, yeah. I've, I've talked to family members that are in the ag industry and, and try to tell me how... Uh, genetically modified things are fine and good but that's the only thing that you're learning from the people that are selling you the product mm-hmm. i don't want to call them brainwashed but it's like uh you gotta look at the other side too but also i do understand and get that genetically modifying as a science and something that we should be doing or thinking about or researching mm-hmm. for sure so mm-hmm. now the benefits of that Maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know, but we need to research those things. Yes. The problem is, is they're just not giving people the option and to buy it or not buy it. But also, there's not enough education out there. They're not giving people enough education or enough education out there to go find on your own. Okay. To see if it's good information or not. Gotcha. So, you know, my family member is telling me something that may or may not be true because that's his limited education, and they're only telling him just the facts that will help him understand right. why it's good so which, that, which you're you're gonna suss out though because you're gonna say they're absolutely. only coming from this perspective they're right. not they're not countering themselves right. you know and well, so but that's the thing is that people aren't willing to think about that kind of thing even the guy even the person that's pushing it on you there's another one about uh, a friend of mine or a cousin of mine that um, is part of the fracking industry okay trying to okay. tell me trying to convince me that that's good for the environment slightly hot button issue yeah and it's like uh, no man you know if that's good he's like yeah that's what i do for a living and it's totally fine and good but whoa what about all of this other rhetoric on the other side like how do you find the middle is it real people are trying to ban it for a reason like what is going on here Mm -hmm. so like he only hears one side of the story he's convinced that it's good because he's getting a paycheck sure i understand that you can't lose your job yeah especially you got a fat pension and you're getting a a huge paycheck or your uh, retirement's taken care of course you're gonna like you know be on the, the better side of that like what else are you gonna do you're gonna walk around and tell everybody how it's actually garbage and so it gets back to your employer so they fire you for right. no, nobody's gonna do that like, right it's crazy it is it is it is crazy and yeah. and the world keeps like shrinking yeah you know what i mean yeah. like we're getting i mean we're getting closer and closer to our neighbors and stuff mm-hmm. like that it's just there's a, there's a lot it's i you know you try and like you want to be positive you want to stay you want to keep everybody's you know everybody kind of like in your environment still moving forward some way somehow where there's still in an argument but you're at least not moving backwards st- stalling but right. it feels 
like it's going to be ultra turbulent for a little while. Mm-hmm. Well, especially right now, you know, and it, it, I think it's good though. I think it needs to be because I think people need to be uh, woken up. I think it's an awakening time. True. Um, so in, True in to my, be, my be, perspective, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, this sucks that everything is stressful and, right. you know, and, and everywhere you go, every news thing you turn on, it's a, oh my gosh, like, it's a headache and sometimes you can't sleep at night, but at the same time, uh, it's an awakening, I think, for the people to start to educate themselves and mm-hmm. understand like the realities of, of this world, our government, our food, our, um, and everything, our day-to-day decisions, you yeah. know, just taking responsibility over that. Like what's mm-hmm. your, what are you, what are you putting in? And then also what are you leaving behind? Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you as far as, it's it's personal responsibility we've all got to just we've got to work a little harder for ourselves to be better for everybody else absolutely i like that well we hit 50 meter or 50 minute mark i don't think i'm going to edit any of this normally i'll go through and kind of take care of some ums and ahs and stuff but this has been a solid conversation i might just leave this yeah no i like it close this out do you want to just tell everybody again where they can where they can visit your restaurants and what restaurants and then anything else you want to talk about before um, we get out of here actually uh yeah actually so we went off on all these little interactions which is cool I, I like that uh but i think a couple things that i wanted to say really quick about the buen provecho film oh yes please. yeah we're coming that'll be out um pretty soon i'm not going to take it political okay uh because i want it to be for everybody um, but also it's more education on a food level. Right. Um, so we eat a bunch of traditional Puerto Rican food and I come back to the restaurants and we recreate those with the recipes in the show. Right. Um, but also it kind of gives you an idea of what we saw and went through in the reality of, uh, uh hurricane Maria okay. the devastation of it. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with this. It's more of a uh, feel good kind of a thing in a sense of, uh, being down the politics of it because i think at this stage right now we're all uh, beat up with the politics that are happening so this is where i'm taking it it's my first film uh, maybe there'll be some others um similar yeah and i can get better at them yeah so it, it'll be fun but that's also exciting. yeah so what's that that's exciting man yeah no it's um, i'm excited for it it'll be fun uh, especially if I can get uh, Chef Jose Andreas to uh, see it. Endorse it a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe if he endorses it, that would be great. But <laughs> I would love to just for him to see it even, okay. you know. Uh, and if he does, he can decide what he wants to do with it. But I just got to get him to watch it, which I think I can do, hopefully. But anyhow. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, come check us out at Sante Restaurant, uh, which has um, a limited time, which is another story, a lim- limited time of, of life. Uh, but uh, our philosophies will remain. Okay. So uh, that's another conversation. But I know uh, that I've got some follow-up yeah. questions. I want to. We're gonna hopefully. Yeah. Maybe maybe in 2019 we'll try and reconnect a little bit. Yeah. No, that'd be movie. great. I could give you a little review or something like yeah, that. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Um, that'd be fun. Maybe you can come to our showings. We're gonna try to uh, get them at um, uh, the Spokane uh, Movie Festival or SPIF. I think is what okay. it is. And then maybe at the Magic Lantern, I'll probably show cool. it. Maybe at the Garland, hopefully. Yep. 
Um, my friend that helped me and has helped me with the 509 Cooks, uh, Aaron Robertson, is another chef friend, buddy of mine. Okay. Uh, he's uh, in Portland, Oregon. So he might um, uh, help uh, get us to show it over there a little bit. So we'll see where that happens. But uh, also, yeah, you can check out the uh, Hogwash um, Whiskey Dan uh, in the Pacific Kitchen is kind of our uh, food art studio, if you will. Small plates, mm-hmm. uh, changes, menu changes all the time. We're all artful thinking. Sante restaurant, I have said, and then Biscuit Wizard, a little biscuit shop or a fast food kind of a thing. It's really good, though. Yep. Everything is made 100% scratch. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, we have burgers there, though, too, and different Oof. night kind of food, nighttime food. Uh, and in our bakery, Common Crumb Artisan Bakery, which is actually morphing into um, our 509 Cooks storefront. Okay. So we'll have students in there making things. We're kind of relaunching that, actually, December, January, January mm-hmm. 19, mm-hmm. 2019. So uh, look out for that. And uh, getting back into some pastries and some uh, nice. uh, breads. We shut it down for a minute because we were doing a lot of wholesale stuff and I wanted to get out of that industry. Okay. okay. So we shut it down. We're going to redo it. And uh, I'm going to use that as my 509 Cooks kind of a storefront. Yeah. So everything that you buy from there, from the bakery, uh, 100% of the profits goes back into the nonprofit, the That's 509 Cooks awesome. nonprofit. Yeah. That that'd be cool to see that start gaining traction. Yeah, yeah, and that's something we're going to be pushing here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, cool! Uh, in the next couple of months, and to bring people back, and hopefully, uh, then hopefully launch the five hundred nine cooks as a whole uh, within the next couple of months, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll be um, up and running on the whole program. We've been doing the five hundred nine cooks for over a year now, which is kind of subtle, not really doing a lot with it. Yeah. Uh, been busy too so yeah we're, plus i'm this is the first time i've been in the nonprofit world so i'm learning yeah, so about learning that. that side of it all. um and uh, uh i think in the next year or two it'll, you'll see a, a big push big, for it yeah all right all right that's awesome cool jeremy thanks so much for meeting yeah. me man this has been a this has been a great episode and yeah. and i feel like we did kind of just get the discussion started a little bit sure. we'll have to circle back yeah, um, sure. No, I'll be happy to. Yeah, and I, I just appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man, so yeah. thanks, dude. Well, I appreciate you doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think this is uh, it's good. You know, good. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I just you know, it's. I feel like, I feel like it. No matter what, no matter how big or small the impact it can be, it can still benefit somebody somewhere. Yeah. It's, someone, someone will listen to this, I'm sure. Yeah, and it and it yeah, has open happened. Up, open up their minds. And- People have, have said, questions. yeah, they've said, I heard this specific episode or listened to that guest. And then it's, it's sparked something. You know, that's, that's